welcome back, everybody. It's another episode of Blessed. Another episode of Bloodthirsty Times. It's your boy, Will I Am. I'm Octavio. And it's Emily. And we continue our Joliet Rampage and learn what investigators found that linked the suspects to the crimes. So lace up those all-stars and let's hit the streets in style and join us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times. Let's uh let's cut right to it. We're back. Will I'm in wrong a, or right? I'm an emotional was Will mess Smith, today. Oh what? Was Will Smith wrong or right? Uh right. But also real or fake? Real. Ooh. I, that was I think it was real. I think nah. it was real and I think he was wrong. I don't I I like the fact that he's yo, Richard's loud in my ear. Um I don't think it's real. I do because he got up there and apologized to the academy and cried. Like, yeah, okay. And if he was, I mean, he fake, is an actor. So yeah, but why wouldn't he have apologized to Chris Rock if he was faking okay. it and then just like kind of going up there and be like, "All right, yeah, like I'm apologized to everyone." Okay. He apologized to his and, fellow nominees and all that. Uh huh. And what did that gain? Public attention. attention. Very much to attention. the also, Academy Awards. Who no one fucking watches. But that's not to say that it would have gained attention to it prior to. It's not like they they did that prior to the Academy Awards starting, so people would then tune in. This wasn't like a preset up thing. Like it's yes, happened during. It, it garnered attention to the Academy. I don't Awards. think it garnered attention to the Academy Awards. No. because I don't know anything else about the Academy Awards. I don't know who won or who no, what, what no else. No one fucking all, watches it. That, that's all that, I know is that. Will Smith cussed twice, even though he doesn't have to cuss in his raps to sell records. He cussed twice on TV, uh-huh. and it wasn't censored at first. Uh, I think I, okay. So obviously, did, there's did you, tons of memes and stuff about the about this on the internet, and I came across one where uh, a, a, a quote unquote body language expert examined the footage and said, "Yeah, Will Smith was fucking pissed." Okay. The only thing that makes me think it was kind of fake is that if you slow it down to where he got slapped, Chris Rock is bracing himself. Yeah, he pushes back, and I think that his like if anything touched like the, the angle of the camera, Come it looks now. like his fingertips might have been. So like he knew that he was coming up there to do something, but at the same time, maybe he was. I don't know, but also, at the same time, guaranteed. At the same time, the it's fake. What? No, guaranteed. Well, at the it's same fake. time, the, the body. <laughs> The body um, language expert also said that Chris Rock, even though he saw Will coming at him, did not perceive him as a threat in the moment because his arms are behind his back. His posture is like elevated a little bit. So he's kind of like, I'm out. This is my stage. I'm alpha here. And he doesn't see the slap coming. I don't so, think that he's saying he's alpha, but he's like standing up there and that's his job. Well, one, he's a comedian. That's and actor, what I'm saying. So, like, this is his stage. This is his stage. Like, why are you on my stage? Like, he doesn't perceive him as a threat at all because he keeps his arms behind his back. Watch the slap in slow mo, and it looks like a movie slap. That's what I said. That it looked fake. The way, the way Will winds up is kind of dramatic. But... No, yeah, sure, but also, even the, the slap me. itself is 
Chris Rock reacts, it seems, a split second before the actual slap. Like, it's a movie slap. And even the sound itself is like, that doesn't sound like someone getting slapped in the face. I don't feel like the slap sound is actually there, but also the... It's fake. Fake news. Like, the news today, we were at taking our oldest to the doctor, and in the waiting room, it said that they had deemed this, like where no legal action can be taken on Will Smith's part. Like that's, if it, that's the only reason I would think that it's fake is they're saying that flat out, like for the whole world to know is that there is no way that legal action can be taken. How is there no legal action to be taken if someone assaults another person? Regardless of why, that's still illegal. I don't know, it's a good question. So I'm saying it's, but, uh, it is guaranteed it is fake. Maybe he was apologizing for the saying the F word a couple of times. And not the yeah, that's what he's apologizing for. Because he he was straight up like he was angrily saying, "Keep you my know, wife's name out your motherfucking mouth." Yeah, then he like put some stank on it the second time. But yeah, we here at Bloodthirsty Times we hit the hard hitting news. We uh, we talk about things that are important, like a possibly fake slap, like Will Smith, fake like slapping Smith. Chris Rock. And who owns amusement parks? Get, it's definitely gonna be fake. Mark my words. <laughs> you think they're gonna come out like, oh, that was totally an act? Yeah. Hmm. I don't I don't know. I I really do think the posture, especially the way he reiterated put that stank on the second motherfucking wife's name, you know, I think he he really meant it. I think so. Mm. I do too, and I think that he's got a lot to prove because of what happened with his entanglement situation. I yeah, I think there's a lot of that. And speaking of which, my favorite meme out of the whole thing was that uh when it's a picture of Jaden and says, uh, Will Tupac would have shot him for me. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, we have a lot to get through. I just wanted to talk about super important stuff like slaps. So, nah, Will, if you don't mind. No, nah, it's still fake. That's okay. You guys can believe you want to believe. I just don't see why it would have been. But no one's going to watch it next year to see anyone you slap anybody else. You don't think why it would have been vague? No, fake. I don't know why it would have been fake. Like that. That's not going to gain any watching of next year's awards nor did it add no. any to this year's no i'm still never gonna watch it yeah so mm. all right well, no but everyone to... is now focused on the Will slap Chris Rock around the world yes and so yeah. it gained but not the oscars not the oscars or academy just, awards no one just gives up no one gives a fuck about the oscars that's what i'm saying that's why what's yeah. the purpose of it being fake it doesn't i don't know Will anything Smith, for that award yeah he's, he's will smith's probably got a movie coming out soon he just had he, one. He won an Oscar for it. Yeah, he won an Oscar for it. Okay. He was Which he might actually Serena be stripped Williams for it. Dad. He, might, he might actually be stripped of that That's because fake. of the slap. Fake news. Well, Anyways. if it's fake, I really doubt they're going to strip him. Anyways. Let's yeah. talk about some murders, shall we? Yeah, let's what? do that. What? Murders? No way. Now, when we last left off, uh, officers had pinpointed the truck Back to the Myers residence. Myers. Mayor. Myers. 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 Sorry. The officer was mayor. Stepdad is Meyer. And they started trying to piece together some evidence. And there was one piece that had been overlooked for, I think, Two years, 
84? Uh, no, it was like eight, eight, months. eight months. Eight months. Eight months. Yeah, close to a year. And that was Shoemaker's close encounter with the truck on that lonely highway. You guys remember that? Yep. And Shoemaker. That's, yeah. She's the one that was at a party with her friends. Mm-hmm. And jotted down the note. Yeah. And the truck kept going back paper. and forth and back and forth. And yep. her tip had fallen by the wayside as investigators were bombarded by hundreds of tips that they pursued. And Detective Molinowski remembered that, you know, this tidbit of information, hey, this black truck, it's probably relevant, and focuses attention on her recollection of the truck. He met with Shoemaker and asked if she remembered what the driver looked like. She said, I can do better than that. I can give you the license plate. And so she pulled out that small piece of paper that she jotted down those notes on and gave the license plate number to the detective. I have to say something about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who keeps uh, a tiny weren't... piece of paper for eight months but does not demand that when they called the first time, which was, I guess, technically, Octavia, you're saying a week later, from seeing the truck, still not the night of, if you were suspicious enough of something like that or worried and you wrote it down on a piece of paper, you had like the, you know, thought to do that. You called the police a week later and then, yeah, they're busy. Who gives a shit? Walk your ass into that police department and demand that they take down the license plate or do something about it. Um, I don't know, but she just kind of let them tell her, yeah, okay, well, yeah. Well, she never gave them the license plate number because they didn't ask for it. I don't give a shit if you're asking me or not. I'm calling you with information. You're going to take it whether I want, you ask me for it or not. That's what aggravates me about this. Yeah, we've we had this argument uh outside not, you know, off the microphone, but you know, let's let's see my point of view is that this is not her fault. This is the police's fault. This is not on her at all. No. Like she she reported it the very next week and the police did not follow up until 8 fucking months later. Who cares mm-hmm. if she had the license plate that number that entire time? She she did her part. It's not but why her job to collect this because that's when it was relevant. That's when it was, there's another crime that involved another truck or the same truck possibly, so she reported it once there was more crime to report. What? So then she did her part by talking, she called and did her thing and reported the encounter. And it's not her fault that fucking police officers didn't follow up until eight fucking months later. That's not on her. But your argument was that they didn't ask her for the tag number. That's not the reason. They didn't, like they didn't she ask ha- her. Yeah, they didn't need to ask her. She's calling with information. She should have just given it to him. But if you are thinking something's why not, the- something's up and that you're writing down a license plate number, why would you still wait a week? Regardless of nothing happening, you are still concerned enough to write it down. Why not call it in immediately? Because what if something had happened later that night that could have benefited them getting that information from her? Why didn't the police follow up immediately? Why didn't they come to her and say, hey, what information do you have? And then she could have given them the information. This is on the police and no one else. I'm not saying like you're just it, it's not like a they shouldn't have to ask if she was the one who took the license plate number that, you know, like. She's not an investigator. Exactly, are. but she took the license plate number, thought to do that, write it down, even though, even. All right, you know what? Yeah, it was. If a. anyone, if anyone listens to this, what's your tell? Please let us know this time for real. Like, please solve this for the sake of my marriage. Please. It was a happenstance. She said, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna take saying. down this license plate number as this truck 
flies past me. I have no idea that they're involved in any sort of crime. They just drove past me at a high rate of speed, and I'm going to jot their license plate number down. All right. Well, I'm not saying it's her fault, Would like you, whatever, but that's that literally every, never ha- happened. You, I've never written a license plate number down and then held on to it in case I needed to call it in. If I'm writing shit down, I'm going to call it in right then because I'm concerned for some reason. Or I'm not writing it down. To you, the only thing I can see to you is that it's fucking amazing that eight months later she had this tiny piece of paper in her purse. That's the only thing I'll be like, What? why does she have that for so long? That's the only thing I'll give to you. I literally well, just like, unwrapped a piece of candy and don't even know where the wrapper is. Like, who the fuck keeps a piece of yeah, paper tiny? Yeah, women's like, purses are just a different dimension. I was always told, don't you know, ever. To go in there. <laughs> yeah. He still won't go in there. No, my dad was like, you hand a woman her purse, you don't go looking through it. You just hand her the whole fucking purse. And I'm like, no, hand me this out of my purse. And he's like, no. You don't want to know what's in there. I think Emily's is full of bricks. No. Probably. I have a backpack, a wallet on my keychain, and then I have a purse. So, like, I rotate. Those are are different kind of bricks. Those are illegal bricks. Oh, those bricks. Yeah, don't talk Uh, about those. Yeah. We won't. Anyways, we'll talk about the license plate that she wrote down. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. So she pulled out that small piece of paper, jotted down the license plate of that truck that flew past her, and it just so happened that the license plate was registered to Sam and Dolly Myers. And this brought to light the fact that Milton Johnson had been released early from his rape charge and was now one of the prime suspects in these called vicious murders. Yeah, that's an appropriate word. Very yeah. vicious. Now the detectives also had a strong evidence also had strong evidence that linked Sam Myers to the truck to the scene of where many of these murders occurred, including an actual sales receipt that was wrote out in his name from the fish and game store where he bought the tackle. The thing that makes that receipt besides having his name on it is that it was literally found underneath a dead body. Mm -hmm. So there's really no chance that it could have just flew by the crime scene as he, you know, Joe by. Yeah. Yeah. Just because that was his, (laughs) this excuse was, yeah, I just flew out of my truck. I fished nearby that thing was underneath a dead body. They tucked it for <laughs> safekeeping. They knew it wouldn't go anywhere. After. Yeah. It's pretty nutty. That, that Yeah. I mean, this story in itself is fucking nutty. And the fact that there was a receipt underneath a dead body with his name on it from a fish and game store. Prime suspect, son. You know what I was thinking about this morning while we were touching this up mm-hmm. uh, is that um, the way he got caught was kind of serendipitous. There's a lot of like things that he did. A, I don't want to like compliment the guy, but he did kind of a good job of keeping his identity or any clues kind of minimal. But these like the receipt, the receipt just happened to fly out and land under a dead body. And then the other receipts that they find later that we'll talk about, like it was just in a inside one of his belongings so it just seems like everything that they had to connect him to was just kind of like super lucky on the law enforcement's part to be to catch the guy oh for sure like you know you know what we didn't sorry real quick you know what we didn't talk about Mm -hmm. 
because probably, I want to talk about Will there's, Smith. There's going to be a lot that we no no it's nothing about, about the but, case. Oh okay, it's nothing about the case. But I was we forgot to talk about how we're surprising people by releasing this the next day. Like we released one yesterday, and part two is the very next day. Oh yeah, yeah. It, uh, Surprise! Yeah, fake news. <laughs> You're getting it tomorrow or today, which previously was yesterday. But yeah, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's, it's not. You don't have to wait a week. You have to wait one day. Yeah. You're welcome, everybody. Anyways, go on. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Now. Although Sam Myers himself would be ruled out as one of the suspects, the same day authorities had went to the Meyer residence, and on that same day there was a prayer vigil that was held for the dozen murder victims, roughly dozen, I think there's 14 for yeah, counting, 14. Um, in that area of Joliet. And now, coincidentally, after that prayer vigil, the murders suddenly stopped. So they, the guy who ran that prayer vigil, I forgot his name, but he takes credit for that. I don't know if he knew that the police had gone directly to Sam Meyer's house and came across Milton Johnson, and that's why the murder stopped. But it happened to be the same exact day. Or maybe there's no such thing as coincidences. Maybe maybe there's no such thing as coincidences, and uh, this is God's plan. I don't know. Sure. But either either way, the fact is that the day they had a prayer vigil the murder stopped completely. So uh, take it however you want. I don't know. Those that were there in the prayer circle were like, our prayers were answered. No more Right away. Murders. Immediately. Yeah. Same day. Wow. God, you work fast. <laughs> I'm not trying to poo-poo on religion, but here we but go. <laughs> yeah, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. So now, after authorities had met with Milton Johnson at the Meyer residence, after initially being there to search for Sam Myers because the information they had gotten previously uh, pointed straight to Sam. But now authorities were confused on why they were face-to-face with Milton Johnson. He was supposed to be in prison, serving a 25 to 35 sentence uh, sentence for a brutal Pilcher Park rape. Now, Pilcher Park, located along Hickory Creek, is a popular location for hikers and fishermen alike. It was a pleasant forest and marshland where people can escape the hustle and bustle of city life and just enjoy nature. One of the most popular attractions at Pilcher Park was the well where people would flock to and fill up their Yeti mugs with fresh-from-the-earth mineral water. And after hours, the park became Lover's Lane. And many young couples would park their cars along the narrow roads leading in and do what lovers do. And on the night of February 15th, 1970, Lee Chandler and his girlfriend made the trip to Lover's Lane and parked their car on one of the back roads near the flowing well, knowing it was probably the best location where no one would bother them. About a half hour after they parked their car, they noticed another car pulled in behind them. And a couple minutes later, they heard a knock on the passenger window, 
and Chandler's girlfriend, Mary West, rolled down the window and spoke with the stranger. The stranger asked, Am I going the wrong way? Yes. She replied, Thank you. And he walked back to his car, only to return a couple minutes later and knocked on the window once again. How long are you going to be here? About 10 minutes. And following her response, a shotgun barrel pointed into the open window. Bitch, open the door. Mary West complied and the stranger climbed into the back seat, shotgun in hand, and asked the teen couple how much money they had. Combined, they had about $25 and the stranger ordered Chandler to get out on the floorboard and look at the fucking brake pedal. He then ordered West to take off her clothes and get into the back seat. Mary West took off her outer garments and got into the back seat with nothing but her slip on. The stranger, angry that she didn't follow orders, punched her in the face. I told you everything. The stranger started to inquire what the couple were doing at the park at such a late night. And the stranger asked, what were you doing here? Uh, nothing. Not satisfied with their answer, he smacked the girl again and, and asked, What were you doing here? Mary West, not wanting to get hit again, spouted, We were fucking, okay? The stranger then turned to West and said, Now I'm gonna fuck you. She was repulsed by the large man sitting there and said, you're going to need to shoot me first. Not happy with the response, he hit her once again, all the while Chandler was curled up in a ball on the driver's side floorboard. The stranger told Wes to explain to Chandler what they were doing in the back seat. We're making love. Yeah, it's not what the stranger wanted to hear, so he punched her. We're screwing. Not good enough. Punched her again. Okay, we're fucking. This is what he wanted to hear. He proceeded to rape West all while Chandler listened in the front of the car. After a while, he asked the couple if they smoked, and West pointed to her pack of cigarettes on the dash. The stranger reached in and also turned off the car and pulled the keys out. He also pushed in the car lighter and waited till it got hot and took it out. And that's when Chandler heard his girlfriend scream in pain. He heard the sizzling and smelt burnt hair. The stranger was using the lighter to torture the young woman in the back of the car. He then started beating her. My jaw's broken. I heard it snap. The stranger then had to decide what he was going to do with the victims. He turned to Chandler and ordered him out of the car. Get out of the car, look down at the ground, and if you look at me, I will kill you. The stranger closed the door and walked back to his vehicle. He soon returned. Okay, let's get back in the car. Lay down on your stomach. Chandler got in back in the car and was ordered to open the driver's door so the shotgun blast would kill both of them. And fearing for his life, he bolted into the woods, leaving his girlfriend behind with the madman. 
He ran to a nearby hotel and called the police. The stranger, I don't know why, then drove the couple's car to a local hospital, Silver Cross, and left the woman there. Doctors would have evaluated the woman and saw that she suffered cigarette lighter burns to her vagina. And the rapist had bit through one of her breasts and fractured her jaw. She was listed in critical condition in the ICU. And a man was soon arrested for the rape and torture of Mary West. And Chandler, in court, had to recount his memory of the brutal attack. The stranger had told her to place her feet on the roof of the car and proceeded to burn her vagina with the cigarette lighter. Oh, goddamn. This stranger would serve his time in prison and would eventually be freed 13 years later. Damn, that shit was brutal. And he was only 19? Yeah. So, what does the early life of someone who is capable of doing that look like? Um, so, you so, gotta have you gotta have some mental something triggered this, right? Yeah, there's, there's you what, don't just do this. What triggered it? Well, um, Milton Johnson. He was born in a small town in Alabama, Milray, on May fifteenth of nineteen fifty, and he was the middle child of three brothers. His parents divorced when he was four years old, and his mother remarried two years later in 1956 to a man named Sam Myers. And Sam worked for a traveling construction company and started their first of many moves for the family to Joliet, Illinois. And then two years later, they moved to Toledo, Ohio. And shortly after that, they moved to Baltimore, Maryland, and then back to Joliet in 1962 for good. This was really... I I think that's a probably a big part in a like a kid, right? Moving yeah, a bunch, a not lot. having a stable home. Just moving all over the place. So like, you know, we touch on like military stuff for people being affected by that growing up and this is similar as far as like moving, like, you know, you PCS and the military and kids have difficult times readjusting. Well, this is kind of no different. He probably was very affected by having to change schools, find new friends, and it was hard. So I would agree he, with that. He did take the moving very hard, and he started having difficult time in school. Many, even a cousin, noted that he was a loner and somewhat of a bully. And in 1966, during his freshman year, he began having terrible headaches and had to go to the hospital and have four teeth extracted. This was sort of the start of the demise from his of his schooling um it just caused an even bigger issue he failed a grade he wanted to drop out and in 1968 he joined job corps and moved to sparta wisconsin to study welding then eventually moving to detroit michigan living in a ymca for a very short time and worked there and then in 1969 he returned to joliet and started working at lamont steel plant and as we know, Will spoke about the February 15th um, rape and torture. Uh, he brought the victim to the hospital himself, covered in her, blood, in her blood, which led to his arrest and conviction and sentence of 25 to 35 years in prison. But while in prison, he was very heavily focused on 
his geographical location and his appeals process. He was interviewed by several staff, uh, psychologists and sociologists, both of which deemed him manipulative and stated he lacked accountability for his actions. As we will see in the trial, it's kind of ridiculous. He never loses that. And something that I found like super crazy at this point is during all of these assessments and stuff and like the breakdown of his, you know, mental capacity and things, they did find him to have the ability to know what he's doing and have accountability. But when he was 15 years old, they found out he was arrested for the assault and battery of a woman and the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. But I would say that that goes to show what type of person he was and how manipulative he truly was to be able to skate past that shit in prison therapy and still grind on his appeals. Yeah, he's, like you said, there's no way someone like does something as horrible as that brutal ass rape and not have a history of, like you don't just do that one day, that builds up. Yeah. So um, one of the things that he knew of ahead of time in all of his meetings and everything, they, you know, heavily assessed people for their their safety and the safety of staffing in prison, but he did not want to move to Pontiac Correctional, and that was his next step. And that would have changed his, like I said, geographical location, and he felt that it was best to stay where he was because he was innocent in his mind, and he was going to prove that to everybody, and he needed to be where he was to continue his appeals processes so well yeah not only himself thinking he's innocent but his mom and really his stepdad as well they kind of pushed this a little bit uh they they thought he was innocent as well so he wasn't alone in that yes well, that's, what, that's what parents do right i i don't know i don't know about I don't, that. my yeah. baby wouldn't have done that come on i mean that's a common trope but i think i think realistically there are more we just don't hear about it there are more parents who are like yeah Rot. Rot in jail, please. We I don't mean, need you in public. who the hell else is driving your truck, Dolly? Good point. All right, let's move on from that one then, because there's no way I would stand by that shit. My kid would be going, and I would not be visiting. But, oh, really? Yes, for sure. Like, you say that now. I might write him. Yeah. No, murder and, I mean, uh, rape and torture and, no, mm-mm. Especially as vicious as that rape yeah. was. And already that... we've established he had these charges at 15 years old. So this mom and dad, stepdad, like his whole family, they're not new to his like bullshit. Yeah. Like he's not just a model citizen that one day stumbled upon a vehicle and accidentally pushed a shotgun into someone's forehead. Or accidentally, then, put, a, or accidentally put a lighter into a yeah. vagina. I mean, yeah. Multiple times. So, yeah. Anytime anyone discussed his case with him, he always stated that he wouldn't be there long, even though he was sentenced to 25 to 35 years. The prison psychologist did assess him on multiple occasions and deemed him fit to be moved to a medium security facility due to the nature of his crimes. I did not quite understand that because the nature of his crimes are like extremely heinous. So why would medium Mm -hmm. security be fitting? I would think max, but... I think based on his mental capacity, they'd... Of what they saw of him in the moment. Yeah. But also, well, he held his own with them because he was adamant that he was innocent, that he was going to work on his appeals. He studied. He did not have a diploma, but he had a plan for obtaining one at that moment. But during his whole thing, he still kept the story that he was innocent. And during one of his assessments with the staff, it was shown that he had a very low IQ, possibly a seventh or eighth grade level of thinking. 
but they made it clear that he was not mentally retarded. That was the wording used. Um, well, yeah, he he didn't complete high school. He Well, they said that he didn't have anything past 7th or 8th grade, and I don't know specifically what they're saying because he was knowledgeable enough to research things to possibly get yeah. an appeal. I wouldn't that, have I to do quite, that in 7th or 8th grade. I didn't quite understand that because even though they did assess him and did assign, you know, 7th or 8th grade, you know, mental capacity to this guy, as we'll see later, he holds his own legally and I'm going to go really into depth into that, but it's just I don't it, from what I learned about the trial and whatnot, there's I don't believe that he was low IQ at I all. I feel like he is Kim Kardashian Kim Kardashian his way through law school in prison at this point. What does that mean? She didn't go to law school. She took the baby bar, passed it, and now she can take sit for the real bar to become a lawyer without ever going to law school. Side note, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's the thing also, in California. You, watch, you could go to law school or become a yeah, lawyer. You watch right? a lot of that keeping up with the Kardashian shit, so I mean it's kind of all over the place, but anyways. Along with the determination, that determination that he was not mentally retarded and had a seventh or eighth grade level of thinking, it was concluded that he was not a sexual predator, and they simply labeled the rape and torture of an innocent girl as a situational reaction. What the fuck? Wait, what? They did not deem that. Like, he's not a... a a deviant or heinous sexual act deeming him a sexual predator. They said that it was a situational reaction. He reacted to a situation that way, and that's how they categorized him as a person. Not a sexual predator. A person who raped and tortured a girl as a reaction, a situational reaction. In what situation are you like, I'm going to take a lighter and shove it into her vagina? No, Will, Will, Will. The situation is that these kids were alone with no protection and he uh, had a gun. okay. Yeah, it was anyone in that situation. Yeah. I can't even say that with a straight face. I can't even say that with a yeah. straight face. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, that makes legally that I don't fucking understand the legal system. I don't know. I no, did not understand that. Obviously, obviously that makes sense. Come on now. Yeah. So um, Dennis Jennings was one of the sociologists at the prison, and in his reports, he wrote that he could see Johnson working on his diploma and trying to better his life upon release, even though at every turn he stated he did not really truly have a plan. Like, it was just no job kind of, waiting for him or anything. Yeah, he, but mom and dad were waiting, you know, he was going to get a job, blah, 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 but there was never concrete shit other than mom and dad. So while in Pontiac Correctional, Milton Johnson started working in the kitchen. He was a first-time offender and deemed nonviolent, which, again, what the fuck? So this was the place that they felt would fit him best. Right after his start in Pontiac on July 22, 1978, is when the worst prison riot in Illinois history ever happened. Over 1,000 prisoners participated in the event that led to three officers being killed, three being injured, and many facilities being burned to the ground. That's fucking metal, dude. Yeah. Like crazy yeah. imagine just showing up first day of school prison whatever you can call it um and just trying to get your job done in the kitchen and shit's going south like this whole place no. and do you cower in the corner <laughs> or do you imagine, participate in... imagine your first i think day, you participate you're in jail yeah imagine your first day as that correctional officer like what is no. what is happening is, What's is going this on? every day yeah 
Is this every day like this? It's like, like equipment. I don't night shift's getting off and you're walking in and they're like, run. I don't want to I know the, the people, the, uh, the things already happening, they're already burning everything down and the night shift just like, all right, clocking out. You guys got this from me. Yeah. <laughs> Deuces, bitch. Won't see you later. Right, cool. You guys got this? No, I mean, in, in all honesty, which one of us is not participating in a fucking prison riot? Uh, you're already in prison. Me. I'm participating. I'm definitely participating. I've seen I'm in prison. Black. Mm-mm. I've seen that Robert Redford movie, uh, Last Castle, I believe it's called. I don't know yeah. what that is. I'm pretty sure it's Last Castle. Uh, yeah, Heather, Josh, Last Castle, right? Anyways, I'm pretty sure. Robert Redford, there's a whole fucking prison, right? It's based off a true story, and they get out. And these are like hardcore convicted criminals. Good movie, though. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely participating in that, right? Like, try- no. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm hiding. No, no, no. I'm not trying to get out. I'm trying to fuck shit up, dude. No, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why when this happens, it's like, oh, the females, the women's prison started a riot. That doesn't happen. Uh, Have you seen Orange is the New Black? I saw a lot of lesbians. Yeah, I saw a lot of of boobs. They took over that prison like Bosses, so okay, they, they did. That's true. They yeah. did take over that whole thing. But that was a made them shit. Story. Made the correctional officers <laughs> yeah, shit in buckets. A, that was a, that was a pure, fake, pure entertainment. Yeah, that was Netflix. Eh, uh, whatever. Anytime I hear a prison takeover, it's always the men. It's I because know. women are smarter than that, and we want to actually go home when we're supposed to. Uh, okay, I want to party. I'm here to party. Yeah. Here to get oh, the, hi, my name, I'm here to get uh, my name is Rob. I like to party. Yeah. I'm here to get the fuck out early. Yeah. So put your head down, go s- sit in the library corner and mind your fucking business. Yeah. And eat some box. Hi. All right. Sure. Hi, my name is Rod <laughs> and I like to party. Well, you guys can stay in prison longer. I'm getting the fuck out. Yeah. Well, so there's no, there's no bills. There's three hots in a, or three hots, three hots in one cot. Um, well, that's technically you know. true. There is yeah. three hots in a cot. Three hots in a cot. What? What? <laughs> well, yeah. What did you hear? Okay. What? <laughs> There's probably a lot of that too. Anyways, if prison was based on <laughs> orange is the new black. Everyone's like, I want to go to prison. I just don't know how I would sleep. That's and there's small walls. It's weird. Yeah, I'd get beat for my snoring. Yeah, because you definitely couldn't have your CPAP. Someone would strangle you with it. They'd use it as yeah. a weapon. You'd have to be weapon. in SEG, and you'd be lonely. You'd beat your head against the wall to get out. Oh, he's in SEG because he's brown? How dare you? No, because he has wow. a CPAP machine. Wow. Wow. I mean, take it as you will. Whatever. If you want to say it's because you're brown, you're fine, bro. No, you fine. obviously you're have. No, it's okay. You're racist. Continue. <laughs> Clearly. Nope. Continue. I'm Mexican. My last name is Gonzalez. Mm. True. Barely. She sometimes she has a little Mexican in her. Yeah. Oi, my just, parents might be listening. Just a couple they, times. We have kids. They know it's happened at <laughs> my, least once. My dad thinks that you sleep on the couch and we don't touch, okay? Well, that second part's true. And Luca just <laughs> appeared out of nowhere. He was just like exactly a gift, a gift to the earth. He came from Santa. <laughs> All, right, All right. Here we go on. So, anyways. <laughs> In 1979, he started to seriously focus on gaining traction for his parole board meeting, and in 1980, he was first considered for parole due to his number of family visits because they saw that he had, you know, family support, and that was his plan to go home and live with mom and dad, and blah, 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 blah. The work he put into his appeals and the model prisoner he was becoming, or being at that moment, were all factors in him getting considered for the parole board, but... 
He wasn't always a model prisoner. And in 1971, actually, he'd had 10 minor reporting infractions along with six major ones. But still, the whole time, he felt he should have already been released to go home. That makes sense. Yeah. In 1981, he tried again for parole, and he had reports from staff that he was an excellent worker in the kitchen, and he was going to a regular counseling session with the prison prison counselor. Um, and he again po- applied for the parole board, and he was denied. But after that denial, he went into segregation because he had contraband drugs on two occasions, and he stopped working in the kitchen because at that point, he was just pissed off and said, fuck the shit. What? He had contraband? No way. Yeah. yeah. He probably brought it into in his prison wallet. <laughs> I mean, where else would you put it? The butthole. Oh, thank you for clarifying. Thank Will. you. I Guess wasn't sure if anyone would get it. Uh, someone doesn't know what prison is. Uh, <clears throat> it's in your butthole. Well, I asked Carter, our twelve-year-old, what it was, and he said it's the space behind your pinky toe. Well, okay. He's gonna be in for a rude awakening. <laughs> he's gonna be in for a long time because he's gonna get caught a lot. <laughs> he's like, no, it's in my prison wallet. What yeah. behind my pinky toe? <laughs> <laughs> So he said he wears Crocs in prison so he could hide it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dude. So between 1981 and 1982, he had multiple family visits. And while he still had no solid jo- job lined up if he were to be released, he kept trying for parole. The family visits thing were a b- big plus for that, by the way. But he, it was determined in 1982 that he was not affiliated with any gangs while in prison, but he had caught, been caught with contraband drugs in the past, but he was currently improving his behavior, and in ni- April of 1982, he still, again, was denied for parole. He did that South Park thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're sorry. The job sorry. Was, sorry. The job <laughs> thing was a big kicker for the denials at this point. Like the, They did see a big, huge pluses in the family visits. Like He had at one point had 10 a month from his family of all of them. In the book, did I hear that he said he was a gym teacher? Yes. So I didn't well, he, write that. He, I completely forgot. Where did that come from? He wanted to be a gym teacher. That was his. No, he. He said he. Yeah, you're right. But he also said he was already. He said that he went that, to Forest. That, yes. He was hired by the principal of Forest Park High School um, after his arrest from like in between him going to prison and like that whole like around the year um, between Job Corps, leaving Job Corps and his imprisonment in 1970. He said that Forest Park High School principal hired him to be a gym teacher. Hmm. That is what he told the counselor of the prison. All made up, though. Yeah, clearly. I mean, no one's yeah. fucking hiring this dude to do shit. Mm, obviously. Except wailed. Anyway, so two months after his appeal in April, or two months after his April of 82 denial from the parole board, he requested a transfer to be in a pre-release program. His prison counselor, Diane Rocket, agreed with this request and submitted the paperwork approving it. Diane stated that the change to a new location would be a good thing for Milton, and she supported it. She also requested he be given 60-day credits multiple times between July and October of 1982. And these were, you know, of course, leading to his early release. Pre, And these credits pre- were all like 30... 30- they were 30 60 days, days apiece. 60 days apiece every single time. He had, I think, a total of 12. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yes. Um, yeah. In January. Well, that's like, what, six months? 
Really? 60, no. 60 uh, day credit. 60 times 12. Six years. Yeah. That's, it's that's a long years? time. But also, six we, years? we should yeah. focus on the fact that he was sentenced to 25 to 35. We never had it specified. Obviously, there are multiple terms to prison sentences. Just because it says 25 to 35, you're always eligible unless they state that you can get out early with good behavior and things like that. So I, if it if it's 60 days every time you got a credit and you got it 12 times, that's two years off a sentence already. Okay. Thanks for that she, quick math. She gave more at later times, but those were oh, not yeah, necessarily. She, yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah, she so, did. <laughs> in January of 1983. Oh, no, 60 days? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do for it? What are you going to do for it? Yeah, yeah exactly. what do you want, huh? I'll make, I'll steal you a roll from the kitchen. You want to catch this? What? Yuck. So, in January of 83, Milton Johnson began to focus only on his appeals and the parole board meetings. He had goals of becoming a gym teacher, which he had already at this point, you know, we've said, stated he had been one. And at times during his assessments, he even went as far as saying he was already one prior to his arrest. So, he did this and stuck by this. That's why I'm saying he was living his made-up truth hmm. consistently. At least he had that going for him. He was consistent with believing his own lies. Diane Rocket was very supportive of his parole request and had one condition at his last parole board meeting. She stated that he would need outpatient counseling. Take that as you really hmm. truly seem yeah easy enough. she Outward. would like to conduct it outpatient counseling yeah, yeah. you want to come you want to come to my house and i'll counsel Get you counseled <laughs> yeah yeah the parole board heard all of these reports by rocket and milton's plans to move back to joliet with his parents and hopes to become a gym teacher and they approved his parole on march 9th of 1983 after 13 Fortune. years in prison on a 25 to 35 year sentence Shit. Once he was released, yeah. Once he was released, there was no sex offender registry in Illinois or any sort of departmental loop communication that would have alerted Joliet Police or the Will County Sheriff's Department that Milton Johnson was released and would be back in Joliet. Hence the sheriff's office being like, Whoa, Milton Johnson, what the hey, fuck are you doing it? here? There's no communication between the system and the local department of where the fucking offender is going to live. Yes. So lots of people in prison were his cheerleaders, but I purposely skipped this person now due to the nature of the reason why she is so important. While working in the kitchen of the prison, there was a course, there was of course food and nutrition staff that worked closely with the prisoners. Mary Jo Hillier was one of those employees. She somehow found Milton charismatic and became friends with him during her time and visits in the kitchen. She was a young 25 year old white woman clearly clueless and soon after becoming close to Milton Johnson she moved to Milwaukee for work but started writing Milton in prison and he wrote back they became closer during their pen pal situation and upon his 1983 release Mary Jo invited him to Milwaukee for a romantic weekend in April of 1983 they began to meet at various hotels between Milwaukee and Joliet multiple times a month until October 1st of 1983 in July of 83, Milton called Mary Jo in the middle of the night and told her that he needed money and didn't say why. She went out, cashed an $80 check, and met him to give him the money. 
After all, she was a supportive girlfriend and was going to stand by her man. I mean, he did warn. <laughs> he did warn her from the get that he would be somewhat available until August ish. Unavailable. I mean, unavailable until August ish, and she didn't even ask questions, but she seemed fine with it. We know now what he was busy doing. Yep. Does this give anybody else Tinder swindler vibes? Like, hey, I, they're after me. I need, I need you to send me money. My yeah. enemies are here to get me. It gives me yeah. Stockholm syndrome vibes. Like no, in Harley Quinn vibes. It gives, it gives me. I, I was uh, raised in a broken household, white woman vibes. <laughs> she's. I legitimately think like she's Harley fucking Quinn a dude from prison. Yeah, what? I can't imagine that he's like the only fish out there in the sea that's you know looking her way. I don't know what. No, but he was the first one that she caught, I guess. Yeah, but oof, I don't know. That's just weird. So, um, we know now what he was busy doing and doing things that for sure shouldn't have been deemed situational reactions while he was assessed and he in fact was a sexual deviant and serial offender. Milton's parole officer should have been keeping tabs on him the entire time, but wasn't. He didn't check in on him and he didn't really seem to care what was going on. That was concerning to his family, but at the same time, they were just glad to have him home and wanted him to get back to feeling normal. Milton's older brother, Lewis, who was a Statesville prison guard, worried about his brother after he was released. He noticed he seemed to become more secluded than before, and he held a lot of resentment for being locked up and losing 13 years of his life for a crime that Milton was adamant he never committed. Lewis tried to gather some friends, including a coworker of his that was also Milton's childhood friend, Albert Williams, to hit some bars and grab drinks, hoping that it would help Milton meet people. But Milton Johnson was paranoid. He told his brother that he thinks he's being watched by the police, and he felt that they were just going to try to pin anything on him so that his parole would be revoked. This furthered the worry that Lewis had for his brother, and in a conversation between the two, Lewis noted that Milton stated he would make sure he, Milton, would have the last laugh. Things began to change that summer, and he reconnected with his friend Jerry Edwards and even brought his girlfriend, Mary Jo Hillier, to meet him once girlfriend huh yep well that's a nutritionist girlfriend mm-hmm. from, from prison actually she yeah. was the nutritionist where'd secretary you, where, hey where'd you guys meet uh well you know he was locked up and i was like you know what yeah. that's the man for me that's nah. like such a big thing though like j what's it called j j phone or j j date no i don't know like j pin j date j phone j whatever pay j, i don't know but People like seek out prisoners to start relationships well, they with. Want, and they want them bad boys. I just they want those bad boys. I so mean, bad. there's enough Are bad ones bad? outside of the prison walls that you could probably so hit up. Or maybe. I'm too old for that shit. So who is this Jerry? Jerry Edwards was an old friend. Yeah, childhood friend. Huh. What's they, his deal? Oh man, you know they grew up together. And uh, mm-hmm. upon Milton's release, they started to hang out again. More people that just are just, so supportive. Just, so supportive. Just I don't yeah, even have this yeah. many supportive people in my life, and I've never been to prison for rape. Well, go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> straight to jail. I'll be right back. Straight to jail. Yeah. Un- undercook the chicken. Straight to jail. Yeah. Overcook the chicken. Straight, straight to, jail. to jail. You'll f- you'll see where your friends 
are located, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, this childhood friend, Jerry, had opened up a video arcade store, and Milton spent a lot of time there. He even sometimes was just left to run the arcade while his friend was out. Crossword. Yeah, he has a lot of skills. Why not? He got a yeah. job. Yeah, go ahead. Jab. Go ahead. Eh. You watch it. <laughs> I'll be back. I trust you. Yeah. Now, you, after all, you weren't in prison for theft, right? Exactly. Right. I was just about to say that. You didn't steal anything. <laughs> no, you're just in jail for rape, right? Yeah, I don't want to worry about that. Brutal torture, but that's not, that's, you didn't steal nothing. Yeah, nah, I have faith in you. Now, Edwards, being the businessman that he was, also dabbled in the sales of firearms. And one day he met with a man only named as Pumpkin. Yeah, pumpkin. 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 Pumpkin pie. Now, Pumpkin had asked Edwards if he wanted to purchase a 357 Magnum for the high price of $100. What? Well, how much is that in today's money? Do we know? What? $200. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This, this, this is the 80s. It's not that far off. Well, I mean, like, how much would be. I'm going to. You keep talking. I'm gonna look it up because I feel like it's a lot more than we think it is. Well, 357 Magnum. Like, look up what that is. I'm assuming these are scratched off serial number types of guns, but still. Yeah, I imagine. Well, so. yes, it was probably stolen. Obviously. No, they're but a, upstanding. dollars and eighty-three is probably two fifty. Uh, two eighty-five. Damn, I was close. Really close, yeah. So for two hundred eighty-five dollars, Pumpkin said, "Hey, you want a 357 Magnum?" And Edward said, "Sure." I'll give you 50. I'll pay half now and I'll give you half later. Edwards then went to the service merchandise retail store knowing that, hey, I got a 357 coming my way and bought a box of Lubaloy bullets. Oh, please, please don't say that. <laughs> I thought so, we okay, that. Y'all don't context, know For context, the book we listened to had this old guy narrating it, and he said Luboloid bullets like 50 times in a fucking row. And if I hear the word Luboloid bullet one more fucking you time. say it one more time. Okay. I won't say it again. Uh, I don't believe you. Also, so this he... type of gun seems to be very cheap now anyways. Three fifty seven now runs about 800 I'm not the finding that. I'm finding you like can... 102 for most of them. Oh, dang. I guess I'm... I'm on revolvers. Gun, gun.deals. Oh, I'm on shopping. <clears throat> you on Walmart? Oh, Target. No, <laughs> I'm on Target. Shop- <laughs> Target said, fuck you, Will. <laughs> I'm uh, on Google, all places, everywhere uh-huh. that sells those guns. And they are like... Revolvers super. generally sell cheaper than semi-autos. 357 is the caliber that I think makes it more expensive. Revolvers probably do go cheaper, but I think 357 ups the price a little bit at least. Yeah, just a little bit. Now, Edwards returning home after buying the Lubaloy bullets. <laughs> uh, Jesus. <laughs> decided to put them behind his counter at the arcade. Yeah, because uh, he didn't need them anymore, nah, right? He's like, hey, the gun's coming my way. I'm just going to stash it. But then Pumpkin showed up, gave him the money back, and said, Ah, sorry, dude. Already sold the gun. Now, this is the tricky bit. Those Lubaloy bullets 
<laughs> you're gonna you're gonna do it too. Just keep uh, saying it. Lubaloy bullets that Edwards had purchased for his 357 that he thought was coming his way, and then got sold to some other fucking asshole. Uh, they went missing. Hmm. Or did they? I have a a question, but I'm. Do you have a question about Lubaloy? I can tell you about no. Lubaloy. No, are they? What, is, they what does Lubaloy stand for? Uh, Lubaloy is a uh, lubricated outer casing. Uh, what was that? Are uh, they no, no. It's just a lubricating outer casing. Uh, so it goes in the body easier. Lubaloy, yeah, lubricating outer casing. No, they just uh, shot better, apparently. They leave the gun faster and enter the body deeper. Smoother. Get that nice smooth uh, entrance. Lube it up. Oh, it's so deep. Now, when investigators were investigating, <laughs> investigators were investigating. <laughs> Can investigators track that? do be investigating. They be investigating when the they authorities, do be yeah, some authorities in charge of investigating investigations uh, <laughs> what were they investigating investigations about <laughs> things oh, man. Now, when they were looking into the murders <laughs> they found that the victims who were killed by gunfire were shot with I'm braced. Go for it. I'm sorry, what? Lubed up. Lubed up bullets. The old Lubaloys. <laughs> By the way, I just Googled that and Fleet Glycerin suppositories came up. <laughs> Don't shove that up your ass. <laughs> now, these Lubaloy bullets were purchased. <laughs> I'm trying not to react, but man, I've heard it so many times. Uh, I'm gonna you say literally it like, yelled about it earlier. I'm going to say it as many times as possible. Uh, these Lubaloy bullets were purchased on June 24th. But the first murders occurred on June 25th, and that was with the Bloom sister murders. If you guys remember mm-hmm. that from last episode. So hand raised, hand raised answer um what the fuck um oh what's a lubaloy no <laughs> got it it's okay. something you don't put in your butt correct um what is so pumpkin is only mentioned by pumpkin i get that um, he's just some guy yeah yeah but i, I don't think clearly he i think he yeah i don't either because that it it's really sus at this point i think he would have been mentioned more in depth as yeah actually in the investigation when they asked him hey what's pumpkin's real name by the way like oh yeah like you i don't i don't know even if he has 17 other aliases he would have been part of the investigation and yes of course as you've just laid all of these little tidbits and facts out for us it clearly sees seems like you know milton is pumpkin and homeboy uh what's his name edwards is jerry is looking out for his boy and they're just coming up with this story that Pumpkin was going to buy it. And yeah, this is all made up for sure. I think Jerry is definitely... Uh, He's a good friend, let's just say that. So you're saying... I guess. So you're saying Finkel is Einhorn. 
And Finkel is Einhorn. Oh my god, yeah. please don't. And Einhorn is Finkel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's Sucks. dots. Yeah, there are dots that are starting to connect with the Lubaloy bullets <laughs> and the time frame on when those Lubaloy bullets. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it with the straight face. Um. Anyways, the connecting dots, right? Right. Now we focus our attention on Tanya Little. She was the uh, victim of one of the crimes that was now recovering in the hospital. And police started to turn to a pretty radical method of trying to extract information from her. Hypnosis. Dr. George Homeotis, which I don't know how to spell his name. I'm going off what they said in the fucking book. I think Homeotis is his name. Uh, went to the hospital along with, I think, three other detectives and wanted to put Tanya under hypnosis to try and extract as much information as they could get. Uh, from her interaction with the killer. The doctor told her to stare at a fixed spot at the wall. And as your eyes get heavier and heavier, just relax. Bring your arms down. Imagine you're in your bedroom. What do you see? I see a dresser, drawers. And where are you in the bedroom? sitting on my bed okay good now we want to bring you back to the night of the brutal attack from six days ago when I snap my fingers you will be back on the ground facing that truck what do you see well the, the grill of the truck the lights and just the front of the truck the bumper it's, it's so shiny alright good now, is there a license plate on that bumper? No, I I don't see a license plate. The doctor, seeing that he wasn't getting as much information as he wanted, briefly spoke with the other officers that had joined him in the hospital room. You know, she's doing great. She's right there. No question about it. He addressed her another time and told her to move away from the truck. What do you see? What are you looking at? There's nothing else here. Okay, now what do the lights look like? Well, they're square. All right, good. Now, are they on or off? They're off. One of the detectives that was present during this interview, Ed Miller, stepped in and wanted to ask some questions of his own. Now, we just want to see if we can get the license plate, okay? Can you describe the vehicle? The truck had two colors. One of them dark and the other light. Okay, do you, do you know what the colors are? Well, there's dark on top and then, and then light and then dark again on the bottom. 
and there's a little bit of chrome running down the side and it had real big mirrors were there any identifiers on the vehicle any names any numbers no but there was a number on the back like one you would get if the vehicle was doing an emissions check it was a number seven it was green and it was a dark sticker okay good now what about the inside of the vehicle what was it like well it was a vinyl dark seat now do you remember any other details the steering wheel it, it it was dark it it's an automatic truck and the ashtray was slightly open now okay what what about the outside of the truck again well the the grill it's not wasn't really shiny like maybe plastic okay good good now the doctor asked the detectives what else he should ask and what they wanted to figure out <clears throat> they were focused on the front of the truck okay you're lying on your stomach right tell me what you see the lights the grill and the, the bumper. Now, do you see a license plate? No, I, I see nothing. Okay, good. Well, you keep your eyes closed, and when I count to three, you'll feel very relaxed, and you may start to remember some things later on, and as your mind starts to settle, just remember those things for us, all right? Now, as Tanya Little was released from the hospital, started recuperating at home, detectives put together a photo lineup of possible suspects and brought them to her home. Tanya reviewed a total of 130 mugshot photos. 130? 130. While she's trying to recover. 130. Mm. She's trying to point out her assailant. But the issue was the photos did not speak. And that was the key in finding the suspect. There was one perplexing piece of the puzzle. Where was that truck? And after speaking extensively with Sam Meyer, Mayor, sorry, <laughs> keep on saying Meyer. <laughs> they all know each other. Sam Mayer. Uh, husband. Yeah, it was revealed that he'd sent the family truck to a friend's house who happened to fix cars and it needed some work done. And it remained there until authorities investigated further and then located the truck in a rundown garage on that friend's property. Is that pretty perplexing? Yeah. Um... For most if somebody's People? fixing cars, like, I feel like he would have gotten on that and got it out back to the him and why was Why was it there so long? Tavia? Mm, um, his parents stick by their kids. <clears throat> well, the friend's house. So they, they sent it to the friend's house and the man who normally does the renovation of vehicles was sick 
And so the vehicle just sat there. But the and kicker is he was sick, but he never planned on actually doing anything. The no. truck was in pristine condition and he told his wife that they had some rust to buff out. And it no, was sitting on the property for three months until he moved it into the garage for three more months. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense of like why no one came looking for this. Like this is, a, according to them, like this is a family vehicle. It doesn't make sense for it to be there, even if it was for quote unquote repairs. That's why they moved it still in the be garage. Like, right, but they, hey, I think truck if at? I remember, yeah, where's, dude, are you done with my truck yet? Like I know you're sick, but like, I'm gonna, am I gonna have to take it to another guy? Do I need to get another guy? Like this is a family vehicle. I gotta drive this thing, right? So even though they claim this is for repairs, first of all, the dude was like sick all the time and couldn't even get to it. And secondly, like he was just hiding it. There's no, like he was hiding it. That, that's all there was to it. Dolly had a car and they specifically yeah, started to use it. He's doing a solid for a friend. Yeah. If you, if, if, if I wasn't said, aware. Hey, Octavia, uh, bro, can you uh, put this car in your garage? <sighs> Just eh, a couple months. Don't worry about it. See, when you say like that, no. I, now I'm curious. If you tell me, I'll do it. Like if if you came to me straight forward and be like, "Hey, I might have killed someone in this car." <laughs> hey, Octavio, uh, can I put my car in your garage for like a couple months? Why? See, I would think uh, you're trying to come on to me. Then, yeah, that's what that sounds like. Mm -hmm. I think you're trying to be like, "Hey, Park your you big want Mac truck in his little garage." I don't have a Mac truck. I got a little Cadillac CTS, but. I have a Prius. Hey, can I slip it in there for a couple months? <laughs> a couple months, huh? Hey, no, man, none of it makes sense. You won't even know it's there. I'm down for almost anything, but I got a lot of questions first. Yeah, You're I have a lot of questions about it. I would, I would probably let you do it, but I would, I would have a lot of questions. I'd probably try to make you feel like shit about it. Yeah, if I just slipped it in, you wouldn't even know. <laughs> Without me knowing, that's yeah. stupid of us because it makes us an accessory to ask questions. If we don't know and we just do it, we don't know shit. Can't say shit. Yeah. Don't have shit to say. I guess. But in a court of law, you're like, I didn't know. Exactly, unless we... But that works. also, think about the context. You live in this small fucking town, and there's been multiple murders over the course of every weekend, like the past three months, and all of a sudden, you want to hide your truck in my garage? Huh. Yeah. And then when, you, and then when I do hide the truck in your garage, the murders just stop? Huh. Hmm. And the thing Weird. is, it's four miles away. So, like, the fact that it was sitting on the property for a few months or three months, and then they decided, well, shit, this may still get it, you know, seen. Let's move it into the garage. It, it's just the town's small. We know that. Like, it's not, I don't know. Yeah, this whole part did remind me of uh in this book we never even mentioned the book is, is the book is called uh terror town usa and it's written by a guy named john ferrick and um this part reminds me of a part in what's that show that everyone was obsessed with uh, how to make a murder uh what's his name brandon uh, dassey yeah the nephew was brandon dassey the other one was uh steven avery, avery. Stephen avery, avery not james avery. yeah Stephen avery so actually you know what this uh, John Farrick guy, he actually wrote a book about that case. Oh, I didn't know that. He, yeah, the other book, because I knew he wrote another true crime book, but I didn't He's know which one was. He's written a couple, just, I think, but I didn't know he wrote one about them. Yeah, he wrote about one about the uh, make a, how to make a murder uh, case. But this whole, like, because that's what happened on the, the uh, Stephen Avery case, right? The, the RAV4 was just gone, and it was somewhere 
close by but far enough away where it was literally still on the property they just yeah but it was like on the far end yeah but i mean it was a huge piece of property yeah and then you know of course it that that whole case was very different in this situation because you know those were yeah no no it's it's different completely i just thought there's some similarities yeah with the but the, the vehicle hiding anyway the vehicle hiding thing i feel like so yeah they're doing the friend a solid or whatever but like the dad or stepdad sam right sam, Ma- yeah meyer sam i keep saying whatever anyway meyer he meyer. didn't like oscar meyer Wiener. yeah sam meyer he didn't do anything and like the guy is like you know he's telling his friend like it's his friend not milton johnson's friend it's his friend so he's like hey i need you to put my truck here because like the police might be coming to get it and it's my fucking truck my stepson's a dumbass and i need you to hide my truck like this this whole thing is very strange because aside from hiding the truck for whatever reason that milton told him aside from that and he i'll talk about it later but like he put down a lot of money for a retainer on a lawyer he um believed he was innocent the entire time and still believes he is innocent because he's a good boy or whatever but like it kind of seems like they might know more than we that they let on i it's guess giving me um uh what's his face brian laundry vibes brian laundry parent vibes they knew fucking their son did that so yeah this is exact same situation i feel it's a ignorance is bliss type of thing oh i think Uh, no i just this cover they're hiding it i think they're hiding it his he was 15 when he was first charged with his sexual deviant act they're playing ignorant you're just ignorant guys i'm saying all right well Authorities started to work the crime scene of the ceramic shop murders. I won't say murders. I'll say the massacre. It's a massacre, I would say, is more accurate. It was brutal. And it reminds me of... Do you guys remember the Seal Beach? Uh, The what? The murder that happened... The multi-murders that happened in... I think it was Seal Beach. I don't know it off the top of my head, no. I was thinking beaches with seals on them. I don't know. No, there was a murder that happened in a beauty salon. And I believe it was in Seal Beach. It, it, this resonates pretty substantially where someone just went in and just shot a bunch of people because the dude was trying to kill his ex wife and then just shot anyone that was in the fucking oh so it didn't look like a target oh yeah he he murdered everyone that was in that beauty well, salon. i would think his ex-wife they're still gonna put that two and two together so they were just collateral damage at that point it wasn't yeah. to not look like he was killing his ex-wife no but this is reminiscent just yeah some guy walks no, but into what a, just said. a small shop and just murders everyone in the building And so they noted that a the red Chevy Blazer that had been seen outside of the ceramic shop was now missing. And as they did the investigation, they noted that the suspect entered through the back door. And they started finding the victims. Barbara Dunbar was located in the back room 
and the amount of blood surrounding the area was massive. She was bound and had her hands bound at the back of her back. Bound, bound at the back of her back. Sounded weird. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. it did sound weird, but good, good enough. She had her hands tied up behind her back. Was, yeah. yeah. And she wore thick rimmed glasses, and it remained on the small of her forehead. Because they noticed that she was hit by a blunt object around her left eye. She suffered 12 stab wounds to her chest and three to her throat. Anna Ryan was found on her back and again pooled in blood. Suffered from 10 stab wounds to her chest and two to her neck. Pamela Ryan was found fully clothed. And again, she was bound, but this time she had a rag in her mouth. And it was also noted that she had urinated herself during the encounter with the murderer. She suffered six stab wounds to the chest and one neck wound, plus a couple others that were classified as suspicious. Mm. And we'll say they're sexual in nature yeah the owner Marilyn Bears was found near the loading docks wrist bound behind her back and unlike the others she was not gagged but she was fully clothed she was stabbed four times in the neck and seven to her chest And then Pamela Ryan was found in the bathroom and it seemed as though the killer had washed up before he left the scene. Absolute madness in that that shop. Dude, that that is a brutal attack. There was blood everywhere. Everywhere. And this, like... The murder, like, you imagine, like, gunshot wounds? Okay, it's not that much blood. He stabbed them multiple times and bled them out. So there was blood all over that ceramic shop. Yeah. It's one thing to shoot someone, right? Or what were you gonna say, Pete? I was just gonna say, like, um, you know, those last little marking or you know stabbings were classified as suspicious but the whole thing um kind of made it seem as if maybe they were dealing with a separate totally different person due to the fact that there was no brutal sexual assault or sexual like issue torture things like that um and we did also talk about this you know off recording that i feel that It was a crime of opportunity for him. He is thinking that the owner, Marilyn, is probably in there by herself, um, one car out front, whatever, and enters, and he's going to have plenty of time to do whatever he wants with her, and apparently ceramics were hopping that day, you know? They had shit to paint and sling, and there were people in there, and he was struck with, oh, fuck, what do I do now? And then just stumbled upon more people and had to deal with it the way he could and then get the fuck out. So he didn't have time to do what he truly wanted to do, which was a sexually deviant act because he is a predator 
even though I'm sure they would try to classify this as a situational reaction also. Yeah. I think that also like along with um, this being a, this could be a situational crime because he had to deal with the situation along with the uh, home, what's it called? The homestead massacre or home. God, the other one he did with the, with the auxiliary officer. Um, oh yeah. I think, I think he had killed the other people and then the auxiliary officers drove by. So he's like, shit, I got it. I, I got to deal with this. They're going to, you know, pull up and ask questions and I, I got to get the surprise on them. So that was, it's just collateral damage. Yeah. That was unfortunate that they rolled up at that time uh, because he, they basically interrupted him and he had to think quickly. And unfortunately that meant taking out any witnesses. So he, it, it, he fly it in. could he, be, I think situational in that <clears throat> aspect. I mean, he f- essentially flagged them down. So it was, a, yeah, because he saw them coming. Like yeah, he, he's like, oh, he had already done shit. the murdering, and he. I got to take care had of to deal anyone with anyone that comes yeah. into the right. scene. Right, and they just happened to be police, you know. And not to mention that he didn't have enough time. He had to get the hell out of there because, as we also see, how freaking long do you think it takes to stab four people? Forty-three that times. many times, like forty, forty-something times. Yeah, forty-three times, I think it was. But yeah, that. I mean, I'm thinking like four times, it's still going to take a long time and a lot of force, a lot of work, but he sure didn't have time to do what he probably really truly wanted to do, which was commit a sexual act. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how he got his, you know, satisfaction in that situation as the sexually classified stabbings. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it, brutal murders. It it was terrible. And again, although forensic science wasn't big back then, detectives still managed to pull fingerprints from the car. They found that Chevy Blazer and started to match them with the database. But yet there was one person who had not been subject to the fingerprinting analysis at the murder site, Milton Johnson. They ran everyone else except him. So they decided to run his prints against those that were found on the door handle and also the ones that were found on the gear shift knob. And there were latent fingerprints. And when they ran those back, they came back too. You guessed it. Milton Johnson. Milton Johnson. Oh, Milton Johnson. Ah, shit, sorry. Got there before me. Yeah. Ah, Milton Johnson. What a surprise. Yeah, weird, huh? Mm. Now, Milton Johnson was on parole, and as authorities started linking him to dozens of murders, he had to go meet his parole officer. Oh, yeah, he's still on parole. He's on parole. (laughs) They just, this is also probably the parole the system I guess in general's fault for not checking in with this guy yeah. uh, I forgot he was on parole damn yeah, yeah well he's on parole I'm give a shit. so he's like yeah I'm gonna check in with my parole officer and gotcha bitch <laughs> <laughs> they were waiting for a him. bunch of sheriffs waiting for him <laughs> they arrested him on the suspicion of the murders that had occurred in Joliet 
Can you imagine walking in thinking nothing of it, even though like there's a bunch of police waiting for you because there's you're going to a parole officer. Of course, there's police there. It's not a big deal. I can just imagine him walking in, like give him like a head nod, like "Hey, cops!" Oh, and like "Ah, gotcha, bitch!" Yeah. I'm sure that's how Chris Hansen feels every time he catches someone. He's like, <laughs> "Oh, you're gonna meet a 12 year old? <laughs> not today, bitch." Gotcha. I always imagine people seeing him in public and getting so fucking scared, like in real life, not you know, a staged situation. You I see, wish Chris Hansen didn't gotcha bitch every time. Yeah, just imagining like I didn't I don't think I have I done anything wrong. Did yeah, I like seeing him wrong? at Target, Will, when you go to Target. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you buy those Lubaloy bullets? Yeah, yeah. Lubaloys. Yeah, and you're just buying home goods and you're like, oh, I just need a pillow. Oh, is this a with a, a kid? Pillow? Is it to smother a kid? Is this what a child would buy for a pillow? <laughs> Chris Hansen, dinosaur- please leave me alone. It's a dinosaur <laughs> dinosaur shaped pillow. <laughs> Why are you in this section? Because I like dinosaurs. Okay? <laughs> so <clears throat> now that police had finally caught and arrested the weekend murderer. Milton's mom and stepdad were still completely in denial and refused to accept that their son could be responsible for such heinous crimes. Just like we talked about earlier, the same thing happened last time when he was 19 years old, and that was just 14 years earlier, and 13 of those years were spent in prison. So he wasted like no time getting back to crime in general. Yeah, just killing people and stuff. I mean, it's all these situational reactions to act, yeah, all these situational to acts that, you know, just shit. And, you couldn't know. have been avoided. Yeah. He couldn't mind his fucking business and not go do these things. So Milton's parents maintained that their son was always so well behaved and always had a job and had no problems with other people. And they said he was a very respectful young man and they wanted to help their son and blotty, blotty, blotty. But he was convicted in a 1970 rape case. Uh, and at that time, they couldn't. They couldn't help their son because they were not well off. Or, you know, was, times were tough for them. And this time, the only difference was that they could actually afford to hire, like, a fancy lawyer instead of relying on a public defender. The last time Milton was on trial, they weren't making decent money. But now Sam Myers, his stepdad, was making good money working for Caterpillar at the plant in Joliet. So there was this hotshot lawyer out of Chicago named William Swano, and Myers was able to retain his services for his stepson for the low, low price of fifteen thousand dollars, which is equivalent to forty-one thousand dollars in today's money. Zoinks! Oh, he got off easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was you got a you got a deal on that one. I don't know how he could say no. And what's funny is like uh, during the trial, he would come up to Sam Myers all the time, like, "Hey, I need two thousand more dollars to do this." And Sam Myers like, "No, dude, I gave you fifteen thousand dollars. Use that money." It's like, "No, no, I got, I got a professional coming in. I got to bring him in and fly him in. I need more money." And Sam was like, "No, dude, you got your money. Do what you do." Like, Sam Myers, you know, he stood up for himself, but that's a lot of fucking money. Mm-hmm. So. All, you know, just a little side note that really it has nothing to do with this case um, is that uh, Will Swano, uh, he made a name for himself by doing whatever it took because he was high on cocaine the whole fucking time. He made a lot of money 
at the time that he was defending um, Milton Johnson, but the money he made, he spent a lot of it on some booger sugar. So he he was a go-getter because he had to be. Coke was like, hey, dude, you got to go make some money for me. So in the mid-90s, Swano would get involved with other high-profile judges who would go down in history as the most corrupt officials in Chicago history. Swano would join them as he also ended up taking bribes. And the judge that he was working with, um, he actually lets at least three different straight-up murderers, they can prove he did this at least three times, off with a warning. A murderer, just a warning. And the reason he did that was because they paid the judge $10,000 each. So in one case, he let a well-known mobster off the hook by giving him probation instead of the much-deserved jail sentence. A high-profile mobster, just like, oh yeah, you can just go on probation, not a big deal. You know? That's, what? That's crazy. Yeah. But don't worry, though. That judge would, uh, would serve 13, out of a, 13 years out of a 16-year prison sentence, and Swano would serve four years and lose his license to practice and be disgraced the rest of his life. And the only reason Swano didn't get 13 or 16 years like the judge was because um, he became a snitch, essentially. Uh, he he just told the FBI, I was like, hey, man, if you he tell me like other people, yeah, if you point out other people who also do this, we'll give you much less time. So he got like a third of the time or like a fourth of the time because he told other people, the FBI, about other people who were taking money to let people off the hook. But anyways, uh, Sam Myers was able to retain Swano. So that's, that's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, over the course of time, Swano would tell Myers he needed more money uh, for, like like I said, hiring researchers and other kinds of shit. But Myers stood his ground and said, no, he is not giving him a cent over 15 k to do his job. So on to the trial. The very first move that uh, Swano made on Milton's behalf was to get the trial moved to a whole different county because the local media would make it impossible for them to find an unbiased jury. The judge agreed and moved the trial to nearby Iroquois County, which was good until they realized that basically only white people lived there. So Swano again asked the judge to move it, this time to Cook County, which is the county Chi-Town is in. But the judge said, nah, the fine white folk of Iroquois County will do just fine for this. So now that the trial was set to happen in Watsika, which is the town inside Iroquois County, of it only had like a population of like 5,000 people. So Swano made his next move, which was to have the trial continued as many times as possible. And to that, he ended up getting three continuances, and the trial went from June 1st, 1984 to July 26th, 1984, which doesn't sound like a big time, but that's at least almost two months of extra time for defense prepare. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of time extra just by continuances. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Th this, this, would, this would happen a lot. Like, they, the defense in this case would fuck around a lot. You know what I mean? They were always pushing dates and they were just continuances and motions and they were, you know, doing whatever they could to disrupt justice, essentially, or to at least prolong it. Yeah, that's a whole other, like, thing with this whole right to speedy trial bullshit. Like, you can continue shit for years and years and years, so I don't understand any of that. No. 
but so Swano was defending Milton for the July 17th 1983 murder of Anthony Hackett and the rape and attempted murder of Tanya Little now <clears throat> the people are going to call several witnesses in this case and they are going to describe to you how a trip to great America led us to this courtroom they then described the brutal attack on Tanya and how she was left for dead on the side of the road. She's going to tell you that the description of the individual that did this to her is a black male with a pot belly. She's going to further testify that in March of 1984, she made a tentative identification that she saw in a person identification or an individual by face and voice, and the evidence is going to show that that individual is the defendant, Milton Johnson. Now, obviously, there was a ton of, a ton of evidence against Milton Johnson, including red fibers found at the crime scene that perfectly, perfectly match red fibers found in Milton's stepdad's Chevy Scottsdale, which, side note, uh, I'm pretty sure my grandma's common-law husband had one in brown. But anyways, um, aside, aside from the fibers, and most importantly, when they seized the truck eight months after the murders, they found a receipt from Marriott's Great America in it. And when they matched the numbers on the receipt to their inventory, they found it matched the skew for a Tasmanian devil that was bought on the afternoon of Hackett's murder. Eight months later, and that receipt is in Sam Meyer's truck. These people and these keeping up with these tiny ass pieces of paper kill me. It's well, I mean, I think it was just like it probably was under a seat or lodged between something because they didn't notice it. Well, actually, how could they have noticed it if it was inside of uh, the neighbor's garage for that long? Yeah, but anyway, like they, they found to it me, like yeah, they found it before. No, they found it when they when they um they went like to the took truck. over yeah. it when they seized, when they seized, seized the vehicle yeah. eight months later yeah yeah so that so it was in there for that whole time but what i'm saying is like there is at, to me in my eyes there's no question that that receipt would not be there <laughs> if or it would be faded like heavily or something yeah there would be it would be in not intact well, it shouldn't, but like it shouldn't be there in general at all at all no no the the fact that it's in there is pretty much like hey I was there that night. There's no question about it. I, otherwise, how would will Anthony Hackett's receipt be in my truck? But anyways, <clears throat> where the prosecution had trouble and the defense pretty much put all their eggs into this basket is that Tanya's description of the truck and Milton himself was not a perfect match. The defense's argument was basically, yeah, Hackett was murdered and this young woman was brutally raped and left for dead. But can we be positive that my client was the man responsible? I mean, after all, can she be sure of what she saw during a very traumatizing moment in her life? Like, that was literally their defense. That's The defense attorneys are fucking weasels, dude. Yeah. But honestly, again, like, I know they, they probably hate being that way, but that's like, they, they have, have to. A, like... They have a job to do, but they're always finding that fucking little weasley way out, like, Hold on. Can you be sure? I don't get paid. Can you be sure he was the one that fucking raped her? God, dude. I know she's, I know she's saying he did, but can we really prove that? You know, it's, that's, it's just sickening to think of how, I mean, I get it. It's a job. Yes. Sadly, they 
have the shit end of the stick, but imagine being one and having to convince people of shit that you might think is true and maybe really do think is true. And then you have to go home and live with yourself. It's terrible. Yeah, I don't I don't know how they sleep at night, but probably like a baby, but it, you know, I don't understand it. Well, they get paid enough so, to probably sleep like a baby on their fucking <laughs> million dollars. Because they home. have to sleep in their car if they don't their, work hard. On, on their California King overlooking the Malibu coast, you know. Aw. <laughs> hard life. So when the prosecution had brought up that they were going to include the testimony of Ann Shoemaker about how her and her friend were harassed by a dark-colored Chevy Scottsdale and actually wrote down the license plate and found that it did in fact belong to Sam Myers, the defense said they didn't want to make it admissible because it would put fear into the people because it would make it seem like Milton was just out here harassing women. Oh, no way. <laughs> Harassed. Why would they do that? Harassed. Don't do that. So on top of that, the defense questioned whether there was enough proof that the Myers truck was used in the Hackett murder since Tanya did not get an accurate description and said, like, the windshield was broken when it wasn't. And, you know, furthermore, she failed to get the plate number. Actually, nobody reported the truck that day as, first of all, being suspicious or even seen in the area at all. So there was no reports to prove that that truck was even seen in the area and the description, these little fucking minutia detail about uh, she thought there was hubcaps on the the wheels, but it was just like the lip on the the rim itself made it look like a hubcap. But she could she thought it might have been a Ford. Uh, but it's a Chevy. It's like these little fucking nitpicky things like, oh, you said it was a Ford, but here we have the Chevy Scottsdale. Clearly, you don't know what you're talking about. It's bullshit like that, you know? I'd Ugh. die if I had to tell a make and model, though, too. So I could do the tag, but not the make and model. You, you know, that was a point that the uh, prosecutors brought up, was that considering this is a woman, it's impressive that she even knew what a, that Ford even made trucks. Yeah. Oh, I'd have been like, fuck you. I don't know it then. Just, no. <laughs> Eat shit. <laughs> And was it the prosecution that made that or was it the defense? Because I feel like that would have been something that the defense would say because they're trying to discredit no, her was, knowledge of the said seeing no, truck. No, the, the prosecution was like, you should be grateful that she even mentioned a brand name because most women don't even know that Fords make trucks. So the fact that she got Chevy and Ford wrong is not important because she was trying to pay attention. But it's just the defense is seriously like the, the windshield was broken, but on a later date. And I think that was just fudged numbers on the insurance's part. But she got, like I said, these little nitpicky, tiny little deep, like it was a black truck, but she's like, oh, it was like blue. Uh, you know, these little fucking things. Yeah. But no, again, but it was black though. Yeah, it was black, but you said it was blue, right? You wrote this report says it, you said it was blue and it was a Ford. Wrong. Uh, <sighs> uh, that yeah, I was just trying to discredit everyone. So, in the end, neither Milton or Myers were let on the stand, and Swano ended the uh, trial phase by talking about the sanctity of our judicial process and the importance of being a good jury member, because he said that uh, it's not if you have one or five or ten, um, you know, doubts, if you have any doubts, if you have just one doubt, you must say he's guilty or not guilty. You know, there's no, so he was going on and on about the importance of being a good 
fucking member of the uh, judicial system. Well, I mean, that's how it's supposed uh, to go. Right, but considering what we know about him later, it's kind of fucking laughable. Yeah. So, um, after he was done, the jury came back with a guilty verdict on all counts and suggested the death sentence. Yeah. When it was time for the for, when it was time for the judge's sentence, the judge asked him if he had anything to say for himself, which he did. Yana, I don't have a prepared statement for the court. I think that a lot of things during this trial, a lot of the uh, procedure period has been somewhat outrageous in my belief. I think that this is not only my opinion, but a lot of other people's opinions also. Some of the things they considered as evidence and some of the things that they were taking as facts that was strictly lies and they knew about that beforehand it's not something i could readily at the time prove nor now it just seems strange and so obvious that someone could remember certain things and forget other things that were so pertinent even the state made statements the things that they couldn't prove i suppose i could have hit or threw away or whatever and the victims in this case they say that thing so far low cut shoes she was positive about that i don't own never owned i never wore low cut shoes in my life everything they have everything i'm saying everything is already in print if they can use it against me i want them too i want them too so it boils back down to the same thing that i'm saying is that if she was so positive that he was wearing low-cut shoes in mine, as they had, may have seen yet, it was something that she was positive about. In the state of facts, I don't even own one. I don't. I've never wore, and the only kind I have is high tops. And uh, he went on about his shoes for a long time, um, even though I didn't put it in here, but they did, when they searched his place, they found uh, two pairs of Chuck Taylor Converse's, or whatever they're called. Converse and one was low-top. Yeah, one was high tops. He had a low top pair and a high top pair. So he's straight up fucking lying. But his shoes weren't the only thing he was critical of. He went on to tell the judge. Listen, judge, I don't own any plaid shirts. Blue, I never wore them. Only people that knows this is my family, friends. And some of the things that I get mad about when I see them apply this. And I show it and I hold it in front of the jury. Knowing that they're lying asses. So it doesn't make any difference. Whether it's true or not, it was implied. That's enough. I stood up there and I listened to her tale about, and she looked in the guy's eyes and she saw that there was bloodshot and the chin and shit. And she said it was a normal chin. But yet she forgot so many things. So they couldn't recall as to whether he had facial hair or not. I had facial hair for a long time. Even the investigators knew about this shit. I even watched investigators. <laughs> <laughs> I even watched investigators get up and say it was long at the time, which was a lie because that that picture proved, especially the last month of June or July, it was longer than what it is now. The fact is, I've been wearing it all along for 13 years, in the last 13 years at least, so there's no chance for it to be removed or anything and shit like that. Now, the state went so far as to imply different things as far as my family was concerned, my brothers. Other things, never wrong about that. <sighs> so he <laughs> he went on um, to talk about other things. <laughs> so 
he went on to talk about other things he thought the prosecution got wrong in this case. Will, please end it. <laughs> Yo, fuck it. They knew about the telephone calls and their seats and shit. The things I was taking that night as to where I was. They even knew that within a few short motherfucking hours after the incident with Miss Little. After she was supposedly rushed to the hospital and shit. And I don't know, some fucking life and death situation. I don't fucking know. That I was out with that holiday inn with my girlfriend at this time. Hey, they knew that they talked to her. The investigators talked to her and they applied to me at the time of racial tension and shit. That this was somewhat disillusioned. The fuck does that mean? And they found out the girl I was with happened to be a white girl. Nah, player, they told this girl not to mention that she was with me. You understand me? They not got in touch with her. Why? You understand? So many things they knew about me beforehand they hid. They did their best. I can understand that. My attorneys, motherfuckers, was given 45 days from the time they took over this trial to defend me from these motherfucking crimes. I've been down here in this godforsaken motherfucking jail in this county's basement for the last few months with the guys in here. Motherfucking double murder? What the fuck? I was here before me. I'm sure that was her. And I'm sure that their trial will be coming up after the election. I'm positive of that, motherfucker. I don't feel this was prepared. Now, unfortunately, you wasn't defending me. You sorted the controller everything, but that was done in the courtroom as far as evidence. I don't know evidence is concerned. I don't know what the fuck that means. Your decision as to whether the jury could see it or not. Even the pictures, the police sketch artist and the witness gave nowhere matches me, period, motherfucker. Not even close. <laughs> Even if the fact she told the sketch artist her face was a little bit wider, what the fuck? She did not tell me. You had a beard, mustache. It was your decision as to whether the jury would see it or deny that. And also, I must admit, I wasn't surprised. I could explain it to my attorney. There's a lot of things that could have been said about the trial and a lot of motherfucking answered questions. I know because I've been back there. And over some of the police reports, whether myself even from the things brought in from the Homer Township incident to whether this other incident was out on Route Six, like I said, it was admitted in evidence, and it's hard to sit up and listen to one thing and strike it from the record. They don't strike it from your mind, motherfucker. I don't care who you are. <laughs> There's nobody that good, not even you. You heard testimony and everything else, but as to who you accept the facts, I don't know. I said the trial itself, I'm definitely not pleased with this motherfucking piece of shit, period. My reason for not being there last few days is not arrogance upon the court or a sense of this. And I heard rumors as far as he's breaking as far as that, blah, blah, blah. I got news for everybody. I says he's breaking. From that day, I walked in and I pleaded not guilty, motherfucker, with a smile on my face. And I'll walk out this evening the same motherfucking way. Smile on my face. Because I get mad only when I see the statements of people. I know they lies, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's the only thing that bothers me. Like I said, there's a lot of other things I could say, but it's not going to make any motherfucking... If I say it, probably overruled. So, you know what? Fuck you. That's all I have to say. <laughs> for, uh, for the record, none of the cuss words are in the script of what I wrote down for him to say. Not one. <laughs> what? Improv king. That was... That was liberties taken by Will Orr. <laughs> well, Will motherfucking Orr. Motherfucker. I say what I want to say. That was good, though. 
I like how you got more aggravated towards the end. <laughs> yeah. <that> was- <laughs> so the judge sat and pondered Milton's statement. <laughs> Lots to for like ponder. a minute while the entire courtroom sat in silence. <laughs> then the judge said, Based upon the all the evidence that the court has heard in the trial of this case and the evidence presented in the sentencing hearing, the court determines there are no mitigating factors sufficient to preclude the imposition of the death sentence. Under the law of the court now must and does sentence the defendant, Milton Johnson, to death. Fuck you. What, motherfucker? (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh... That was just the first trial for the murder of Anthony Hackett and rape of Tanya Little, and he's already sentenced to death, and immediately after that verdict was finalized, the prosecution filed four more murder charges against him and was asking for a second death sentence. The new charges were for the murders of 45-year-old Marilyn Bayers, who owned the shop, 38-year-old Barbara Dunbar, 29-year-old Pamela Ryan, and her 78-year-old mother, Agnes Ryan. These four women were killed in what was known at the time as the Ceramic Shop Massacre on August 20th, 1983. For the second trial, Will Swano's services were no longer needed. Well, I should say wanted. His services were no longer wanted. However, they had already given Swano all their money, so they had no choice but to have a public defender assigned to him. Milton actually got two. Sorry, sorry, Richard, you're kind of loud. Uh, so Milton actually got two public defenders. They were Sam Andriano and Richard Orloff. And Milton actually didn't mind having Andriano as his main defense. And the trial was set for September 30th, 1985. And everything was good, except for when Milton was standing before the judge, he told him that he no longer wanted to keep Andriano and Orloff as counsel and filed a motion to have the judge assign him new lawyers who were not from Will County. And the reason for wanting this was because Milton felt they weren't doing anything and everything to defend him and like share the police records with him and stuff. Anyways, the trial ended up being delayed for a while and this was because they were trying to figure out uh, his counsel situation because Milton kept changing his fucking mind. He told the judge that actually Andreon's cool, but you gotta replace Orloft. And the judge was cool with that then, a week after that, Milton told the judge that he was firing Andriano over some bullshit arguments about, like, a medical witness or some shit. Um, so, at this point, Milton was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna represent myself in a quadruple fucking murder trial. The judge was like, yeah, sure, but those public defenders are going to be present the whole time and make themselves available to you at any point in case you have questions or need advice because... I'm not about to let you defend yourself, then fuck something up and get a mistrial because of it. Hey. So whether whether or not he Why used them, hold on, on hold on, Milton. Just hold on, Milton. Whether or not he you whether or not you use these fucking uh counsels, Milton, is irrelevant. You they were available to you, and if you don't use them, that's on you. But you're defending yourself and you can't file for a mistrial later. That is uh, so now, ballsy at best. It is, it gets better. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. I don't know. Better is could be the word. I don't know. So now Milton Johnson, if you'll remember, is like a six foot tall pot bellied black guy. And he also happens to be a vicious murderer who has 
now free reign to walk around the courtroom and talk directly to witnesses and ask them questions. Uh, Milton saw his opportunity to be a good lawyer and took it. Actually, it's wild, dude. He did such a good job that the Herald News ran a headline the next day that said, Johnson gets passing grade as a lawyer. They go on to say like he wasn't the greatest lawyer out there, but he was not inept, which is what I talked about earlier with the seventh and eighth grade IQ. Like, I don't think he could do this if he was a moron. Mm-hmm. So a few other articles said, Milton Johnson gets a letter grade of C during his two-week murder trial. Milton's own counsel, Sam Andriano, said, There are lawyers who would have done worse. All eyes were on Johnson. He was both the mass murderer defendant and the master of his domain. He commanded everyone's attention as his own lawyer. It was a sight to see. That's fucking crazy to me. This guy, this giant black guy in the courtroom who was, who was just recently committed and sentenced to death is defending himself in a four-person murder trial. It's, it's got to be crazy. So during the trial, Milton did not give an opening statement, and he also chose not to give a closing statement. And when it was time for the defense to rest, the first thing he did was turn to his assigned counsel and asked, How'd I do? To which they responded, Just good enough. But guess what? Doesn't matter. In the end, he was convicted of all four murders, bringing his grand total to five murder counts. He also added a second death sentence. This motherfucker was headed for the chair no matter what. Despite a ton of public backlash, the prosecution decided five counts and two death sentences was good enough, and Milton Johnson was never charged for the Homer Township Massacre, where five people lost their lives, including two auxiliary officers. Obviously, because law enforcement was involved, the decision was heavily scrutinized because the sheriff was the father of 22-year-old Stephen Mayer. Instead, what they did was just take Milton to prison to begin his sentence. And if you're wondering why they made that decision, it was because the sole survivor of the attack claimed in her initial interview that she saw a white deputy walking towards her and shoot at her. This little bit of information would be pretty detrimental to any prosecution. As much as it sucks for the victim's families to not have that closure, it honestly might have hurt more to know for a fact that this man committed these crimes but got away with it off of some technicality which could have possibly also gave Milton Avenues to appeal his previous two convictions. It was a hard decision to make, but it was probably the right one to make. So a quick little interesting side note, though. The prosecutor in Milton's case was uh, there to witness John Wayne Gacy when he was murdered by the state. I mean, um, put to death for his crimes. Oh, that that's it? pretty cool. That's Wait, pretty, what? Yeah. yeah, he was, uh, the prosecutor was there when I John Wayne that. Gacy Why did you say the other thing? Because his sentences are murdered by the state. Yeah. Mm, okay. It's state sanctioned murder. You don't agree? Yeah, but I just. So okay. you don't agree that it's murder by the state? No, I'm. I'm not saying that. I just the way that you said it was like you don't think it should have happened. Because. No, it should. No, it I'm should saying have, it should have happened. But the way it happened is, it's not a. Ah, we're we're doing it for everyone. It's now nah, we're gonna murder you. Mm-hmm. Well, I maybe don't know enough about that. Yeah, yeah a, a lot of people don't like who are for the 
um no i'm saying i don't know penalty. specific about that is that are you saying this that specific death no 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 oh, i'm okay. saying in general that people who are pro death sentence don't consider it murder by the state and i do that's what i was saying oh so you're not pro death sentence no no i'm not i'm more re rehabilitation which is the purpose of the Yes, but you do realize that there are people who cannot be re rehabilitated and that we spend our tax dollars giving them food and shelter for the rest of their lives when they don't deserve a pot to piss in nor a cell wall to beat their head against. So we just murder them instead? Well, mm -hmm. I mean, there's trials, <laughs> appeals, and there's... There's, it's not like we do it the day no, after no, they're, no, no, they're leaving no. the courtroom. I'm I just understand, saying. Like, I understand the trials and appeals, and they say you are sentenced to death, and then we and then they sit on death row for twenty and then years. We, we stick a needle in their arm and we kill them. Well, we at least do it humanely now. Mm. That's, I mean, they even. I mean, mm, except in some places, they have still you not heard the terrorist? No, I know they. Of the, I know they still fuck it up. No, it's they can't get certain drugs because. Yeah. Uh, some pharmaceuticals Sodium. do not want to give the what is it? State the it's barbiturates. What is it? Yeah, it's the sodium bicarb and the barbiturates that are they were put they were yeah. administered in the wrong order. So essentially, they like were suffering as they were dying, but they well, did the die. pharmaceutical said, "Hey, we're not giving you this shit anymore to murder uh, American citizens," and so they've had to take alternate means they almost brought back the shooting gallery yeah i heard that i don't know i just i that guess like nutty. i get what you're saying there's uh you know that it's considered it's technical murder yes i get that but i do believe that there are people in this world that do not deserve to be alive after doing what they have done and there's no way shape or form they will ever be able to be re rehabilitated so why should we spend our tax dollars paying for them to uh, live the rest of their days out in a why do know, we why do we police the 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 world same question you might as well just fucking throw them in a prison cell and just be like hey you're gonna rot here rather than well, that's just, fine rot rather than don't... rather than just murder someone yeah well that's like your opinion man <laughs> but uh um, whatever dude the other the other like eight murders they were pretty sure milton committed they put in the books as closed, and even though he was not convicted of those crimes, they are attributed to him. While Milton was in prison, he was constantly appealing his death sentence over and over again, and over and over again, he was told, nah, you're gonna die. However, in 2011, when Milton was 60, the state of Illinois repealed capital punishment, so even though he had been given the death penalty twice, Milton Johnson is still alive in Maynard Correctional Facility located in Chester, Illinois. Wait, so you're telling for this over 20 years he's on death row? Correct. Cool, dude. So a lot of people point the finger at the system for letting Milton out super early, but really I think all they did was speed up the timeline of the murders because he would have been a serial killer regardless, which to Emily's point I get. But that's why he should have stayed in the system. Anyways, um, when they let him out, he was going to kill whoever was there in whatever year he got out. Yeah. There was a lot of speculation that while Milton served those 13 years in prison, he was talking to and getting advice from other criminals on how to do heinous crimes without getting caught, or at least not right away. I guess what I'm saying to close this episode is that Milton went to the school for hard knocks. 
He, he also did. is no longer on death row. Just well, there's no death there's row no in Illinois. Row, yeah. well, I mean, like, yeah, he, they commuted it to life in prison. Yeah, that's what, I, what I'm saying. There's Illinois got rid of it completely in 2011, so he technically won his appeals. Technically. But uh, that was our first installment of our mini-series on lesser-known serial killers. Uh, let us know what you think. Um, any of the arguments that I can't remember at this point that we've had during the episode, please let us know your opinion on those as well. Yeah, including the death sentence. Yeah. yeah. You believe in I it? Have... You do believe in it. One thing I will agree with on this whole thing that Milton Johnson has ever done or said Clinton. is that once a juror hears it, they it's don't Clinton. fucking forget it. And it was Clinton. We were literally just talking about this earlier today, weren't we? Yes. Like, there's no yeah. fucking way I could sit on a jury for a murder and, like, they say something and then they're like, objection. And the judge is like, sustained. Struck and that. I'm like, strike oh, I, from the I forgot. Yeah. No, I, when they say strike, strike it from, from whatever record. record. Yeah. I don't I forget it out of my head, though. I don't fucking remember that shit. Yeah. He, even though Will did read it in a very entertaining voice, um, he made some points. Like, he went in that courtroom with their mind was made up. You know, it didn't matter what he said, what he showed them because the judge has the overall control of what can be shown to a jury and he can say no you can't show that you know or show this you know what i mean so he he made some valid points even though i don't agree with his life choices but uh that's all we got for this episode reach out to milton at maynard if you want to have some help in your case he's he has some lawyer experience he can help you out and check out our socials at Bloodthirsty Times, Facebook, Instagram, at Bloodthirsty Pod on Twitter. Uh, we have LinkedIn's on all of our profiles, except Will. He has his OnlyFans there. And bloodthirstypod at gmail.com. There it is. Hit it. And stay tuned for uh, another serial killer coming at you in the next week. Yeah. Another two-parter, baby. Another two-parter. And then I have a two-parter after that. And then another a different two-parter. serial killer. No. Um, Wait, what? Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't, um... Don't kill people. Stop. Don't. Yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't do it. And just know it's only got to be proven beyond reasonable doubt, so don't try to do shit and hide it, because it only takes no one juror. There's no death penalty. Bye. Bye. I love you.